0: Hello, you're listening to the KPMG Private Enterprise Insights for Entrepreneurs series. I'm Anton Savage, and today I'm joined by Robert Hopin, who is founder and CEO of Offer. And Robert has done one of those things that sort of people said couldn't be done. There was an expectation for a long time that more and more businesses and and sales were going to move and transactions were going to move online. We we saw that process happening, but there was sort of a sense that really big ticket stuff would still happen one-to-one. And to an extent um tesla put the light to that when it came to car sales well robert is putting the light to it when it comes to house sales because the single largest transactions in most people's lives can now be done virtually virtually across the platform that he set up for people unfamiliar robert will you explain offer
1: i will indeed um, and a uh, nice nice way of, of describing it anton and um, so it is indeed it's, it's a piece of technology that estate agents can use on their website and it allows an end-to-end digital property purchase, um, a, a transaction, so from bidding to due diligence, to signing contracts, to paying deposits and even right back initially to booking viewings, anti-money laundering checks, all the various things. So it's just one, one big piece of kit that um, allows somebody to purchase a property and, and not leave their home, as happened, uh, in, uh, many times now over the last 12 months.
0: Before the pandemic happened, oh, oh. what problem did you think this was solving? Because devil's advocating it. I would have thought it's such a big, big purchase that nobody's sitting at home in their pajamas at 11 o'clock at night thinking, I'll buy a semi-D. You know, does, does it need the Amazon style of transaction capability?
1: Yeah well it's it's true so you still need the advisor so you still need the professional advisor to to be there to help you and 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 ultimately advise you on whether you're selling or whether you're buying but you know 90% of the actual minutiae processes that are going on over several months are you know ready to be digitized and automated but still have the advisor on board the The biggest problem that we were trying to solve was actually the length of time it takes. So in Ireland on average from when a property is listed to when it completes the average is over six months and like there are 50,000 residential properties, 10,000 commercial properties that sell every year and that is the reality. So imagine this anyone who brings their property to the market after the 30th of June they're most likely not going to see the money until the following year and, and is that because
0: it takes that long to find a buyer and hook them in, or is it because the process takes so long?
1: No, it's, it's everything. Um, so, you know, that includes the marketing period, that includes the sale agreed period, that includes the exchange period, and then the completion. And the most stressful bit is the bit between sale agreed and exchanged, because that's when everyone thinks it's sold. You know, an offer is accepted, but it's subject to contract. And it typically takes a couple of months to go from offer accepted to contract signed. And that's the big area that we were focusing on because that's where there's uncertainty, people can change their minds, a buyer can pull out with no penalty, a seller can pull out with no penalty, despite the fact that both sides might have wrapped up a lot of costs and efforts and the property was taken off the market. And then if it comes back on the market again, they have to restart everything and marketing, but like it's an absolute nightmare. So that's the area that we've put a huge amount of work in to let technology help close deals out more quickly
0: um, and a, a difficult challenge i would have thought because it, it's not one where you control the product that is for sale you have probably a big lender involved you have at least one if not two solicitors involved you have a buyer you have a seller you have title searches and and deed searches and all of that which are long and complex and paper-based how do you transition all of that a system that's been running that way for several hundred years online
1: well, the inspiration came from my, my previous job where I was working in BitX1 online auctions um, and also physical auctions before that. And I was doing the, the, the auctions from the rostrum, but then I was also overseeing the, the, the digital auctions. And you know, I remember working closely with you know, the, the team and with my, my old boss, Steve McCarthy, and we were, the, the, the beauty of online auctions was that a legal pack is prepared in advance and it's made available in advance. And so instead of all of this waiting for contracts to be drafted after the deal is done, it's all done in advance. The lawyer still gets paid the same fee. Everything is still the same, but the work is done up front. And then with online bidding, you know, there's no backwards and forwards over the phone and emails. It all happens very quickly. So the idea was to try to bring some of this efficiency into the mainstream traditional sale process so auction as it's as a method itself is not suitable for a lot of properties unfortunately because it's an unconditional sale and if people have to bid subject to mortgage or subject to due diligence or subject to the sale of their own property it's difficult for them to bid at auction so i wanted to create a conditional bidding process that had the legal packs up front that helped everybody prepare the legal docs earlier allowed people to bid online with conditions and then allowed the estate agent to quickly choose uh, an offer that is the most likely to complete. So the offers have to be accompanied by proof of funds. So if someone is placing an offer, they take a, use their camera to take a photograph of their proof of funds. So now the, the estate agent has gathered all that in advance because you see in an offline process, the estate agent typically won't look for proof of funds until after an offer is accepted. And unfortunately, people sometimes have a tendency to fib a little bit about their funding position. Oh, I'm a cash buyer. yeah money's in the bank ready to go and then once it's taken off the market and its sale agreed to them suddenly
0: let's call it misplaced optimism will we
1: (laughs) so it does help but the the transparency is another big time saver and confidence boost as well because there is there's actually a massive problem right now as we speak with um buyers who are trying to bid on properties right it's a very heated process at the moment because of the pent-up demand and the lack of supply there are bidding competitions breaking out everywhere for properties and unfortunately without a system like this it leads to a lot of doubt it leads to a lot of suspicion that maybe the other bidders aren't real the other bids aren't real the estate agent actually has plenty of bidders and bids coming in but is often accused of you know making things up or you know puffing the price up all that sort of stuff when actually they're just trying to deal with all of the interest and the offers coming in so our our tool allows all of this to be sort of centralised in a nice self service way for for buyers to register. So through through all of these different lengthy processes, when you tackle them all in one in one kind of big system, you you bring the
0: time down by a few months. You mentioned the issue of of mistrust or, or wariness in, in the process. Did the same apply? when you launched offer because I I would assume that for something that is as ingrained as the method of buying or selling a house for the consumer for the estate agent for the um, lawyers for the banks anything new must be seen as a huge leap
1: yeah it's it's interesting we launched six months prior to the COVID situation arriving and we probably spent as much time trying to persuade you might say the industry of the merits of going online with their processes as uh, we've spent as much time talking about that as as opposed to our own product itself we wanted to build a technology that enables the professional to still be involved you might say in the next generation of property transactions but be able to to be able to do so in a digital environment so then when covid came along funny enough of course that everything had to go online otherwise businesses had to shut down so we no longer spent any time trying to persuade the industry that they should go online now it was a case of okay we all know we have to go online what are the best products and that's where you know we had to you know do our best to explain and show look this we we believe we've got the best solution that's out there so um that was a definite shift you know there was there was a reluctance to go online um
0: initially so not being flippant about the pandemic, I assume therefore from your perspective in, in a purely business sense, it was a huge catalyst for offer, was it? It was
1: in a way, yeah. I mean, we the downside was, you know, property transactions slowed down, as you can imagine. So there weren't that many deals going through. And we also waived our fees for a long time so as to try to, you know, work with the industry and see could we get deals over the line. So we certainly didn't make any money throughout the process. But, you know, for a tech startup, and we had closed a funding round, so we were well funded. We could afford to, to, to do that. It definitely helped us as regards onboarding an industry into a new way of doing things. Uh, a lot of the fear was was re- reduced or 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 you know set aside, um, and it gave us an opportunity to actually work with an industry that is the best way. I remember my, my colleague Philip always says, you know, sometimes the, the the best estate agent or the best property valuer is the worst tech person, you know, because. It, it's typically one or the other. So we were, as former state agents, um, and we've got good technology on board uh, through my co-founder Neil, who's an excellent CTO, we were able
0: to deliver that joined up solution, um, which seems to have gone down well. You said you're well-funded. Can we go back a bit to those, those elements of the practicalities of, of uh, running a startup and starting a business? You have a nice idea, but it's going to require a pile of money, the right people, uh, a good network on on your board, probably ideally, of good strong non executive directors. Support from banks, legal community, estate agents, all the rest of it. How did you begin that process?
1: <laughs> with uh, with a lot of fear and trepidation and having a rash is what I was doing. That's how I began, because um, I've my whole life I've worked for you know big companies. Now the last company I was in, okay, it was we effectively started it from scratch, but I was I was not the founder of it. I was working for. For the, the the main founder. So in this case, yeah, I had to learn as I went along, and I I have realised, oh my God, there's a lot involved. Like I when I I, I quit my job, and I just rented for two hundred and fifty quid a month uh, a hot desk space in Dogpatch Labs in the IFSC, and I kind of just for a few months was sketching out what I thought would work, you know, what I I believed would be a good solution, but I had to go and you know find a good. Um, uh, person to be able to deliver the technology. Another co-founder, Philip, from the industry. Then we realised, oh my God, this this actually costs money, and my savings were only enough to pay, you know, uh, for a little bit of time to, for development to be done. So um, that was then when we raised money, and, and I had to I did a funding round, a million euro funding round, uh, with a mix of kind of bank and VC and private money, and then that got us about 18 months. And then we closed a 3 million euro round in the middle of the pandemic last year, um, a more of a UK based round. So I had to, yeah, learn, learned on the, on the job, you might
0: say. Did you ever think that it mightn't work? When you find yourself burning your savings, sitting at your desk in dog patch lads, is there a little voice in the back of the head that says, this might've been a poor choice? The odd time, yeah, Um, when,
1: particularly when, you know, after the first four weeks, and and there was no pay slip comes in and you realize, oh, yeah, this is real. This is real. Um, But no, I think, genuinely, I had very little doubt or fear in my mind that it wouldn't work. I I just knew from my own experience, the, the problem that was needed. And I knew this was the fix. I knew this was the solution. And when I ran it past a number of people whose ideas I would respect, um, they you know, confirmed. And, and not the type of people that would just be yes men to, just to be nice and humor me. They would be the first to tear something apart. You know, they said, yeah, this, this will be used. Or I had some companies that looked at it and said, yes, they would use it if you built that out. So I went in pretty confident that this would work. My biggest fear is how long it might take for adoption and that's still an ongoing issue we have. In fact, it's probably our biggest challenge that we're always working around through marketing and onboarding is the industry is so traditional and conservative. It takes time. You know, it can take up to six months for us to fully onboard a new company um, because it's just, they're so used to doing it the way they are before. Um, and the state agents and, and residential and commercial agents are typically, by their nature, they're salespeople. So, their focus all the time is on today's tasks, you know, and next week's tasks, and trying to deal with the 101 things coming at them. So, it's very hard for them sometimes to step back and take, you know, a five year view or a three year view, um, because that's where tomorrow's customers are going to be coming from. And they're going to want to be able to do things on their smartphone, you know, 24 seven, online, single tap processes, much like online banking has transformed the, the banking industry over the last 10 years. The same thing is going to happen in the property industry over the next 10 years. So we're and we're in at the start, but we have to make sure that we, we don't run out of money, you know?
0: Well, can I apply the same logic to you? Because where you say that estate agents are, are predominantly or primarily salespeople, in the same way when you started this off, you were an auctioneer and an estate agent. So how did you learn the process of three to five years strategic planning. How did you make decisions around what way to formulate your board? How did you approach funding rounds? Because you were new to every step of that.
1: Yeah, um, and I had to, you know, try to surround myself with some good people. So I got some early angel investors on board who were very experienced in the corporate world and were able to give me a good steer um and now hang on let, a- let me
0: cut across you you say it like that was coincidence and it just happened <laughs> how did you find these angel investors had you had you cozied up to them i don't mean that but had you built relationships with them in, in in the years previous with this at the back of your head how
1: yeah the I, I, contacts that i would have made through i suppose maybe the last particularly the last maybe 10 years or so in my career where you get to know people and it wasn't I had no inten- intention of doing this back when I was getting to know these people. But it just so happens then that I was I, knew, I was able to pick two or three people from my network that I knew would be ideal to help me, you know, answer a few questions. How in the name of God do I go about this? And then actually a number of them actually invested in it as well, which which was a, a, an added bonus. So that helped. And then, you know, we, we got a term sheet from Delta Partners, which is an Irish VC fund uh, managing partner there is, is Morris Roach. And Morris has, is, sits on the board and he's been a fantastic advisor as well on the corporate governance. And, you know, right, we need to raise some money now, let's let's go about it, that type of thing. And then we also, we got onto a couple of accelerators, one in London called the Techstars Barclays Accelerator with Barclays Bank. And that was all about making sure that you're fit for purpose and that you're gonna grow very quickly. And we were actually, we were the only Irish company on of the cohort of 10, there were 600 companies from around the world applied for the 10 places and we were we were awarded one of them um so that was that was a big moment for us last year that was a three-month um accelerator and we're now on a a new accelerator in london called reach which is actually organized by the national association of realtors in america and they have started a program in the uk which again we were we several hundred companies applied and we got one of the seven places Uh, and again we're the only irish company on it so it's 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 valuable for us to have that level of support and advice along the way um so we we benefit from that greatly
0: and was that part of the plan at the outset somewhere is there now a a two-year-old document that says we must get on accelerator programs or was it informed opportunism
1: no that was definitely informed opportunism yeah um i mean i would love to say all of this was planned but it really wasn't um and that's kind of that was the, the big Learning for me is that in the early days, it is actually very difficult to know where it's going. But what I did find out very quickly was you still actually have to create a plan. The plan can change all the time. But I started off initially thinking, well, I don't know what I'm going to do. What's the point of having a plan? You know, so, you know, potential investors or advisors would say, look, show me your business plan. I said, I don't even know what the business is. How can I have a business plan? And I said, it doesn't matter. You have something. You can tear it up and it can change, but at least it kind of focuses the mind. So that was a lesson I had. I started to do that and I realized, oh, okay, yeah, you can actually change the plan.
0: Can you talk to me a little bit about the the process of working with the investors and the board members that you accrued over time, because this was very much your baby and your idea and i am interested as to how you handle other people's input without getting precious about your thing
1: sure yeah i suppose i don't know if this is a good or bad thing but by nature i'm not particularly you know hugely protective about you know every penny i have or every share that i have so i was um I was able to, you know, uh, I was delighted to invite, first of all, my two co-founders on board, you know, and so they're shareholders in the business and they both invested in the business uh, Neil and Philip. And so that was the first step. And then the next step then was around the the investment Um, and a bit of the old Dragon's Den style, you know, what percentage for how much money kind of conversations were going on. And when I had a term sheet offered from Delta Partners, that had a valuation on the business at the time. And it was their opinion of the value. And I didn't really dispute it. I kind of said, okay, well, if that's what it is, that's what it is. I'm more interested in getting the right people on board and getting the deal closed and getting the money in the bank rather than fighting over every single percentage point. Because really at that stage, it was it was a percentage of what? of It didn't have any market value because it hadn't launched or anything like that. So, you know, it was without that money, it was never going to launch. So the, what I now realize is that the greater conversation is around building the valuation of the business to the right level before the next round. And that's, you know, so having a big fight at the very start for the very first funding event over which percentages, which that's to me a waste of, of breath because that you need to get up and running, get started and then build your traction, you know, build your, your your team, but try to get as many customers as you can. Obviously try to get revenue. We had to be pre-revenue for quite some time. So we're going to have to do another funding event, likely another funding event in the next, say, 18, 24 months. So we want to make sure we absolutely maximize the hell out of the next period of time.
0: Well, how do you balance that, that that, that phrase of being pre-funding? Because obviously there's a lot of decisions you have to make. Pre-revenue, sorry. Um, There's a lot of decisions that you have to make about do we stay in the Irish market? Because maybe we'll be able to generate more revenue faster if we can work our own networks here. Mm. But at the same time, the clock would be ticking in the UK or the clock will be ticking in Europe or Australia or America or wherever else. So how do you make those judgment calls?
1: Yeah, well, I think it became very clear early on that we would be taking this outside of Ireland to, to make it as valuable as possible. The Irish market is just too small for a technology company like ours that that relies on working with the industry as opposed to against the industry because it just means that obviously the fees that are around have to be divided up a little bit and so we can only look for a a very small bit from each transaction and that's fine so for us to scale we need to go into other countries but the nice thing about our technology was that it's very very readily adaptable into other countries so the uk was always on our, our, our radar right from the outset but we have companies in in Australia, we have companies in, in a number of EU countries that are all interested in taking it on board. And we are with, with the likes of uh, the, the National Association of Realtors now on, on our cap table, we're looking to the US as well. So it is scalable. Um it can be multi-language, multi-currency. So the exciting thing for us is first of all, delivering a really good product into our home market, you know, and Dublin and Ireland will always be our home market and we'll always have, have something special. And we tend to release new products into the Irish market first before going to other countries. But the big exciting thing for us really is how scalable this could be in, in multiple countries.
0: So far, what have you gotten wrong? <laughs> yeah.
1: oh, my. A few things, all right. Um, I think uh, I, I would advise founders to be having their funding conversations earlier than they think they need it. So I kind of, you know, we left the the our second funding round i probably left it too late and it was now thankfully it all happened and it was fine but i was having to put it together in a in a short few periods a uh, short few months whereas i should have been doing it 6 9 months in advance so i've learned that so now i'm already talking about what our next funding round is going to be i only just closed the last one and i'm already looking you know we we've, we've engaged uh, an external finance director whose sole focus almost is helping us uh, you know build a route map to the next funding event. So that's definitely something I would have done a bit differently. Um, but otherwise generally, no, I'm, I'm, I'm happy enough with the way things have gone. I've, I've learned a lot along the way. And I just you just try to keep calm and, and you know, t- take advice from people and follow some of it and don't follow others, you know?
0: And what's the, uh, to, to use that phrase, What's the exit strategy? Because this is always, particularly when it comes to private business, this is a a, a big issue because for some, I remember talking to a man once who was, I think, seventh generation, and he described his exit strategy from the uh, business as being, he'll leave it in a box. So I
1: think, um, no, certainly, uh, I I would love to be involved in the business as, as long as possible. But, I mean, if we can grow the value of the business and take in, new investment, new new investors, you know, uh, it might end, an exit could be one of several things. It could be a total sale of the company. It could be a part sale of the company. It could be a merger with another business or it could be self-funded and and it just becomes self-funding. And, you know, um, a, a founder may decide to stay with the business long-term or a founder might decide, say, look, someone's bit bigger and better. Than me to take this in the ne- next direction needs to go and they might sell so it's very hard for us to know. one thing we, we don't know for certain is what an exit strategy or sorry what the exit is potentially uh, we need to grow it into a few countries first before we kind of know which which direction it's going to go
0: i'm intrigued in that in that you you didn't set it up with a view to selling it was to create the thing rather than to profit from the thing was the original driving
1: yeah, yeah. So when when I created this, I I I saw I knew that there was an appetite for this, and I, the initial goal was to make get revenue out of it, right? So like it was to to generate revenue as a business, and then generate revenue for me to be able to you know draw a salary out of it. Um, I mean that was the at the start, and it was only then after that, it suddenly became obvious. Oh, this has legs. You know this this could work in in lots of places, and it was then suddenly it became more of a tech play. So I didn't set it up saying right i want to do the next exactly this over the next five to seven years and um, it, it just grew into a tech play quite quickly
0: and how do you perceive yourself do you think of yourself as an entrepreneur and this is your first business or do you think of yourself as real estate professional do you know what i mean yeah it's it's funny um because I
1: probably don't see myself as an entrepreneur like other entrepreneurs. I look at other entrepreneurs enviously all the time. And I and I always think, God, you know, I wish I could be more like that, you know, and serial entrepreneurs that have, you know, started several businesses and they've been doing it since they're, you know, 12 years of age when they were making stuff and selling it out the backyard or wherever it was, you know, you had, like I, I wasn't that person. you know. I was 10 years working for Savills, you know, in, in a big company and then another 10 years you know, doing stop and x one So I had never done this before. So I kind of, certainly, I suppose I'm a first, I, no, I'm a first time entrepreneur, but um, it, it, it wasn't necessarily naturally in my blood. I just kind of had to learn. It. Um, so yeah, I, I look endlessly at other entrepreneurs and I always
0: think they're much better than I am. Do you have a taste for it now, though? Like, would do you look back at the process of funding rounds and, and initial cash burn and all that as an exciting thing you want to do again or a blooding that is a once in a lifetime?
1: No, I think I could I could probably do it again. Yeah, I, I think I, I wouldn't like to go back to, to working for somebody or a company. I definitely like the idea of being able to be master of my own destiny. Now, it is easier for me. I mean, I'm 41 years of age. Most of my friends are married and have kids mortgages, you know, I don't have any of those things. Um, so I kind of can focus my my time and energies on it. So and I do understand that there are a lot of potentially good entrepreneurs that just can't, you know, do it. So someone has a great idea, they know it'll work, but you know, they've got three young kids, they've got a husband or a wife, um, they've got a mortgage, and it's just too much of a risk to, you know, jack it all in for the sake of an idea. So there's a lot of ideas, a lot of entrepreneurs that probably don't come to fruition. Uh, as a result so I do consider myself lucky that circumstances have helped
0: me where we started was with the discussion of the problem that needed to be solved maybe where we should end is with the solution if I now decide to buy a house through offer give me a a sense of how the process now operates versus what it used to be yeah
1: so you would still Find the property like you would normally on the websites such as, you know, My Home or Daft, and typically in Ireland, they're the two main search portals. And then the idea is your inquiry then would be to the estate agent, would be redirected to the estate agent's website, where there's a little button and it has the offer logo on it. And when you tap the button, up pops a panel. It's like an app, you can upload your proof of funds, you can submit your own offer, you can join a bidding process if there are multiple interested parties, but if it's just you and the agent, you could negotiate using the app, you know, and the nice thing is it's dated and timestamped, so your offer is all logged and audited and, you know, your your terms and conditions of your offer are all recorded, so there's no disputes. Um, and it's very transparent, and it goes right through to signing the contract. So it's all done through this little button that sits on the estate agent's website. So that's how that works.
0: And the next phase that we should keep our eye out for is what? So we are launching a a lettings version very shortly.
1: And so that's coming down the line whereby you'll be able to rent a property with the tap of a button, um, because that's a painful process too. And and with rentals, you've you've got typically a high volume you know, of of interest in a particular property and it can be very messy and people don't have a good experience with it. So that's uh, that's something that's coming down the line and new homes as well. So we have a new homes product so that, you know, a development can be sold through a digital means um, uh, via the estate agent. So that's quite exciting for us. And then going into a number of EU countries with different languages, that's an exciting project. We're looking to translate it into a few different languages. So (laughs) we'll see how that one goes.
0: Well, we wish you all the best of luck with all of it. Robert Hubbin, thank you so much.
1: Thanks, Anton.